Kevin Durant is one of one, and he had a historically great performance, leading to Giannis Antetokounmpo dubbing him the best player in the NBA. We'll discuss KD's iconic night, Kyrie's ankle injury, and whether the banged-up Nets, including James Harden, who toughed it out in Game 5, can finish the Bucks off in this series. We'll also get into what Harden playing meant on one leg and his outlook for the rest of the way with the post Ian O'Connor. No time to rest. It's another playoff edition of Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. We are back for another playoff edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, Nets legend, number 30, Carrie Kittles. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown and associate producer Sarah McCrory as well. Follow the crew on Twitter at Robin Lundberg, at Carrie underscore Kittles 30, and at Jake Brown Radio. Do us a favor, give us a five star rating, write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, would you? And while you're there, subscribe to our New York Post Mets and Yankees podcast, Amazing But True, with Jake Brown and former Met Nelson Figueroa, and Pinstripe Pod with Chris Sheeran and Yankees great Jeff Nelson. New York Post sports columnist Ian O'Connor was there covering Game 5 in Brooklyn, and he will join us later in the show. But, Kerry, first we must talk about that Game 5, and I got to tell you, I can't believe they won that game. Yeah, it was a very interesting game. I mean, to have Harden you know, limp out there basically and play on one leg and give it a go and to uh, to be down as much as they were. And, of course, you know, obviously the brilliant night of Kevin Durant and when he was able to put the team on his back. It was uh, an amazing night to, uh, to watch the Nets play. I mean, Kevin Durant, obviously the headline. But when, when I say that, Kerry, it's because, you know, the Bucks. I, I see a lot of people killing the Bucks today. And, and I get it. Uh, to me, that was about Kevin Durant more than it was about their failure. Yeah, maybe they could have adjusted, taken Brooke Lopez out of that drop coverage that they, they kept running or, or, or done something else, right? Uh, Giannis took some fadeaways he, he maybe shouldn't have taken. All that. But I thought they played pretty well. Like, I thought Giannis had maybe his best game of the series. You had role players like Pat Connaughton finishing. Bryn Forbes played good. You know, Brooke Lopez hit a three. Giannis hit a three. Like, all those things, when they kept building it back up to 16 or whatever, I was like, it's just not the, the Nets' night, especially given that Harden was so limited. So for, for them to come all the way back and win it, that's one of those games where if things go the way we hope they go, you point back and, and say, that's when it happened. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the thing about the Nets is that the Nets make you play a perfect game for 48 minutes. Doesn't matter what the score is. And, you know, when you have those great talented players on the court and how they can control the game, it just puts that much pressure on you, especially to make good decisions, right? You know, you talk about the Bucks shot selection that was a little bit off at times. You know, but they have balanced scoring. You know, you had other guys contributing, whereas in game one and two, we saw they weren't even there in, in the arena. So I, I just think that, you know, the Nets, they will make the necessary adjustments so that drop coverage that the Bucks play in those ball screens and dribble handoffs. You know, if you push up on that, then you're 
going to create more court space and they're going to find the open guy and just pick you apart. So, you know, it wasn't Harris's night, but it was other guys' night. I mean, obviously Jeff Green and what he did off the bench was was great. And I mean, Blake Griffin and how he contributed. So the Nets just have so many complimentary pieces that they're going to pick you apart no matter what you do. Yeah, I think Joe Harris had money on the Bucks. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think, uh, you know, Harris hasn't really found his stroke yet. Uh, he, you know, maybe maybe game uh, six or seven is where he'll show up. Oh, he better. He couldn't even grab a loose ball. You know, <laughs> People were starting to put him in the trade machine before the game ended, thinking that, you know, the season was going to be over and all that. I mean, you mentioned some of the stuff. Uh, obviously, James Harden's a story. Just the, the inspiration that you get. He got by on guile, right? You know, he, he's able to see the floor, give you a ball handler, so you're not overly relying on the likes of, of Mike James. Games. Jeff Green, that game changed when he came in. When he came in for, for Bruce Brown, they were able to then spread the floor because the Bucks weren't, you know, I love Bruce Brown and what he brings, but the Bucks weren't even guarding him. And when Jeff Green came in and started making those threes, the, the Nets did get all the way back in the game then, but their level of play changed from the point he came in that game. And, and Steve Nash clearly noticed it because he basically rode that group. Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, Durant, and, and Harden, who, who almost played the whole game. Durant played the whole game. He, he rode them the, the, the entire time. Yeah, he did. He did change the game. And, and that's what you have to do when you're a role player off the bench or even if you're a starter and you're not just the main guy. You have to find your way of impacting the game. And here comes Jeff Green, right? You know, he's working himself back into the rotation with his, you know, being out for a few games early on. And, I mean, you know, he's making shots like that. I mean, gosh, he was on fire. It spreads the court. And now Durant, you know, he started to see more seams to be able to drive in there. And, you know, now you have to be up on all those dribble handoffs. You have to be there because if Durant is throwing the ball back to to Jeff Green for open shots, you know, that's that's a wide open three there. So, you know, what he does, he's been doing all season long. You know, he's been able to impact the game, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. And, you know, his energy and how he can, you know, he guarded Giannis and, and gave Giannis some, some trouble on, on certain possessions. And that's what he does well. Now let's get to Kevin Durant. Because coming into this game, there was a lot of talk about, you know, how he needed to have one of those games, a quote-unquote legacy game. Well, boy, oh boy, did he have a legacy game. <laughs> because, Kerry... Not only, you know, was Kevin Durant brilliant, and you could just cite the stats. He played all 48 minutes. He scored 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, two blocks, what have you. That was not just, I don't think, his best game. Not just the best game in Nets history. That was one of the best games ever played by anyone. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you spoke about the Harden's impact, right, by just being in uniform that night. And he's, he mentioned it earlier. He said... You know, it was nice when, you know, it was inspiring to get the text from Harden to say that he may give it a go for that night. And I'm like, okay, wow, you definitely played inspired basketball <laughs> from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he's always talking about just hooping. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's just hoops. And that's how he plays. It's like make or miss. It's, it's just basketball for him. And we know that you really have a hard time contesting that seven-foot shot. Once he gets up in the air, you know, you, you're, you're going to get a foul if you get too aggressive. And when he has it going, right, that, then you're at his mercy. Right. And he and he has those clutch genes like we've seen from all the great players to just continue to dominate the game, regardless of the score, regardless of how many points he scored at any point in time. He wants to continue to destroy you. And, and I mean, wow, I mean, he is an exceptional talent. It's unspeakable to be able to see a guy at that size do what he does. Well, Robin, Robin, you said it was historic. It literally was. He was the first player in NBA history to put up the stat line that he did in the playoffs with 49, 17, and 10. And how rare, even in the playoffs, is it to see a guy play 
all 48 minutes, and they needed every single freaking minute out of him with uh, Harden playing banged up and with Kyrie Irving out. Yeah, I think the last time we saw that was Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, LeBron uh, did it, I, I forget the, the year, but it, you're going back about five years or, or, or so. When you talk about what, what Durant did, not only that stat you just quoted, Jake, but game score, which is one of those catch-all stats, his game score was higher than Michael Jordan's best ever in a playoff game, LeBron's best ever in a playoff game, Kobe Bryant's best ever in a playoff game. And, and it was the definitive performance of his career, right? Like you, you go back and, and they win the championship, let's say. Uh, again, you'll say, remember game five, Kevin Durant against Milwaukee. It's that kind of thing that can elevate his all-time status because fair or not, the, the time he spent with Golden State, people don't attach the same level of gravity to those rings, right? Like he went to a 73-win team. Anybody's out of their mind if you don't see Kevin Durant and say he's a great player. But the, the questions were, you know, did he have to, you know, be a part of a super team to do these things? Well, Kyrie Irving goes down. James Harden's playing on one leg. And he has that kind of performance. That's the kind of thing that just shuts everybody up and, and really can, can change the whole narrative of his career. It should. It should end that debate, right? I mean, he is in an elite category from his whatever he did prior to coming to the Nets and what he did last night. Because just think about those guys. I mean, for me, I judge the players on performing in the bigger moments, right? You lose game five at home and have to go win a must world win at Milwaukee in order to advance, do or die game. That is big. Without your guys in the lineup, it just shows you that his his mental confidence and what he can do and his will and what he's able to do against a defender. I mean, listen, Giannis is seven feet tall as well, and he's right there on him, and he's just banging shots on him. He's got another guy in, his, in P.J. Tucker under his throat every time he catches the ball. And, and where's the help defense? He just elevates over help defense. It's just, I mean, he's an amazing offensive talent. I'm telling you, we've never seen it. Yeah, and he played, you know, beyond just the offense too, right? I mean, he, he impacted the game on defense. He, he, he made more plays as a playmaker than you're typically accustomed to because that's one of the things you know when I've had these nitpicky discussions you know is he the same level of playmaker as some of these other guys you know in, including LeBron or, or Harden on this team but you're right when, when you talk about the the moment and sensing the moment and what he was able to do and then the, the defense I keep hearing people say oh yeah Giannis needs to guard him Giannis can't guard him PJ Tucker is probably about as well suited as anyone there is to guard him. He's mugging him the entire time, and it, you couldn't stop him. So, like, it's not like the Bucks weren't trying to Is P.J. Tucker this fake tough guy? Like, he's always starting fights with everyone. Do you think, uh, is Kerry, is he a real tough guy, or is he a fake tough I guy? I mean, I think he's legit. I mean, I mean, he's not, listen, you're not going to be able to tell like, who's a real tough guy. No one's throwing fists and fighting in, in today's game, right? But as far as physicality and backing down, I mean, he goes up against everybody, whether it's Jimmy Butler, LeBron, don't matter. If you are forward in the NBA or even some guards, he will get into you and he will challenge you on, on any given night. That's what he does. He's six seven, looks like six six, going up against six seven foot. It's got no chance. Yeah, I mean, he he's physical presence, you know, and he hit Kyrie. Uh, you know, he hit somebody in the eye late in that game. I was going to say Kyrie. Kyrie's obviously not playing. Harden. He hit Harden. Yeah, he hit Harden in the eye late in that game. Accidentally. But, I don't know about that, but that was a, a good pickup. <laughs> was the Kyrie injury accidental? Was that? Did you think there was there was some people that said that was intentional? What do you guys? Let think? me tell you something. I played basketball for 30 years, and I've never had someone land on top of my foot, whether it was a jump shot or definitely near the basket. Like, it's just the spatial awareness of your, competitor, your opponents. You know when a guy's up in the air, he has to come down, and you know where your foot is 
when he's coming down. That's just like a, to turn your head and just all of a sudden, oh, wow, you landed on my foot? I don't know. Robin, if that. Kerry says it's intentional, it's intentional because Kerry's the nicest guy on the planet. So if he says it was intentional, I don't, I, I don't I know, agree. man. Like, that's just, that's just hard for me to believe that, like, a guy goes up for a layup or a dunk a dunk or a jump shot, and you don't know where your foot is when he's coming down? Could it be more awkward? Because, you know, I like to think of Giannis. I, I, I've had a good personal experience with Giannis. I was at the All-Star game. Jake, you were there, too, in, in Chicago. And I, I was trying to talk to everybody as the game ended. And he's the only player that actually stopped and talked to me. Having heard him talk before, he seems like a good dude. So I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt and think that was more awkward than dirty and intentional. I mean, I don't know. I, I You know, you can never really could tell because, you know, you got to be in that guy's head to be able to know what he's doing in that moment. But, I mean, I don't know. I think the league should just be consistent with their, with their ruling on these situations. We've seen them rule before on jump shots. Do the same. Anytime a guy on someone's foot, have the same ruling in place, and then you'll be more aware of what you're doing. Well, and Kyrie, that, that's a bad ankle sprain, right? I mean, it was it was basically 90 degrees to the, the the floor there so I don't think you can count on him coming back anytime soon and you still have a series to play as much as it, it feels like the Nets just won it all <laughs> last night but they didn't even win this series you, you got game six still in Milwaukee how much does this carry over Kerry and how much can we hope for a more effective performance from Harden you know is this the kind of thing where his hamstring loosens up and he gets more confidence in it so he can get some of that burst back or do you think you know, it's going to be Katie, a limited Harden, and role players the rest of the way, at least through this series. Yeah, I think so. I think he'll definitely be limited. But for me, hopefully it's like a rhythm game for him. Game six, get your rhythm and get ready for game seven, right? Because you're probably not going to win in Milwaukee, in all honesty, right? Like, I think they would need all three guys healthy and in the flow and in their rhythm in order to win in Milwaukee. That's a tough place to win on the road. So get ready for game seven. Use six as a game for just warming up and getting your rhythm going offensively. Make some shots, right? And then come back home and close them out and stuff. And Joe Harris has to make shots. Like, he has been, like you said, Robin, it seems like he's bet on the Bucks. They need him because Jeff Green's not making seven of eight from downtown every game. As much as we love Uncle Jeff, I mean, he was feeding off of KD, and it was literally the KD and Uncle Jeff show. Almost every you look at the box where no one did anything. Um, except for them. So Joe Harris has to show up here in Milwaukee if the Nets want a shot. Or else Shamit's going to have to take some of those minutes because at least Shamit could put the ball on the floor a little bit. I mean, you know, Harris, the, the problem isn't just that he's not making shots, which he's paid handsomely to do as he make $18 million. He isn't impacting the game in, in other ways. So he's going to have to have one of those games. Of course, I mean, he's capable of it, right? What did the guy shoot for, for three from the season? But he's, he's starting to develop a reputation for disappearing in bigger games and against tougher competition. And he's going to have to to break that because, you know, his importance goes up as you remove each of the big three, right? The, the importance of everybody else goes up. And in most people's list, he would be the fourth guy. He clearly hasn't been that. I mean, I think right now it's, it's Blake Griffin and, and Jeff Green. Those have, have been the, the, the next most important players on the team. Blake Griffin's played pretty darn good defense against Giannis, struggled a little bit against the perimeter guys. And we, we just talked about what Jeff Green brought. As far as, you know, game six and the rhythm thing, Kerry, I, I think it comes down to whether Harden's making step back threes. If he can get some of those step back threes to go, that little pep move that he has, maybe that'll give him the confidence. That'll bring the Bucks defenders up toward him, and all of a sudden he can start going off the dribble a little bit. Yeah, I mean he's got to make his shots. I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it's that's what he does really well, right? I mean he's a facilitator. He gets them organized, so that's why we need him on the floor rather than Mike James because he organizes the, the ball club. But yeah, I mean if he's making threes, now you're pushing up on him, and now he's driving in the lane, and now he's drawing fouls. He's fine. He's making Claxton better. He's making it. You know, he's making everyone better. 
better when he's penetrating, right? So he has to make shots in order to do that. And so, yeah, hopefully he goes up to, up to Milwaukee and, and does that. Find his rhythm, find his flow on, the, on his jump shot, and then come home and really help Durant on the offensive end, right? Because Harris, I mean, geez, that's what you should do, man. You're, you're a sniper. You're not just some streaky shooter who just so happens to make shots every once in a while. No, you are a sniper that gets paid to make shots all the time, especially when you're open. You can't be breaking shots, shooting air balls. I mean, who is this guy that's been playing lately? So, you know, in order for the Nets to do well in advance past the Bucks, I had him going seven, but seven means the complimentary players are all contributing and helping the, the stars, you know, making the game a little bit easier for the stars. Well, you got to hope that was a sort of galvanizing performance, right? I mean, Kevin Durant put the the, the fear of, of God, I think, in the Bucks a little bit. I mean, after the game, Giannis, who's a two-time MVP, was calling him the best player in the world, right? Steve Nash gave him the hug of all hugs. That, that you know... It, he, he will be memed into oblivion for that that love he showed Katie, that, that feeling when you're on my team. Uh, and, and Barclays Center w- was alive. You know, it's the, it's the kind of thing that develops a culture, a fan base. Because in some ways, Kyrie was first. Kyrie signed on the dotted line, but we know it was sort of a tandem deal. For all the building that the, the Nets have done o- over the years to get into the position that they did, Kevin Durant choosing the Brooklyn Nets really legitimized the franchise. Like from that moment forward in many ways, you know, especially, you know, in, in that borough, right? He had that that game where it was the definitive performance of his career. And it's cool that it happened in, in a Nets uniform because I do think when all said and done, as great as he was in Oklahoma City, as important as he was to what the Warriors did, we know that was always thought of as sort of Steph's team. I, I think Kevin Durant has a chance to carve out, I'll go back to the L word again, his career legacy as a Brooklyn Nets. Well, Robin also tweeted, Kerry, that he could carve out his legacy in the history of New York sports because you said what, that Kevin Durant's the greatest basketball player in New York sports history? Well, Stephen A. had said something to that effect. This is a, a, a silly semantic game, right? Because Kevin Durant hasn't been here long enough to be the greatest player in, in New York area history. I mean, Patrick Ewing and Walt Frazier, and, and if we want to count Jersey, J- Jason Kidd, you know, there, there are great players who have established roots. But when you're talking best players to ever play for a New York basketball team, Kevin Durant and, and James Harden are the two best players who've ever played in New York. Yeah, semantics. Semantics for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, wow. Yeah, man. I mean, he's on his path right now, what he's doing in, in the playoffs and, and how he's showing up in these moments. I mean, look, if he carries the Nets to the finals and they win it all and he's finals MVP, he will be in that category, if not the top of that list, for sure. And it's also the kind of, uh, again, Kerry, you know, this would happen in a different way than it did with the Warriors. It's it's like an elevating sort of thing where all of a sudden, you know, you've always thought, all right, Kevin Durant's an all-time great player. But you you start mentioning those names, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, who are are grouped together all the time. Kevin Durant's name is going to start to come up right after those guys or, or, or right with guys like that, you know, in the not too distant future, if he can culminate what he did in game five the rest of the way yeah i mean he's putting himself in really elite category to be doing this with different teams i don't buy into the whole oh he's playing with other hall of famers and all that that's bullcrap to me because all these great players who you know from michael jordan to, to magic johnson to lebron they've all played with hall of fame players right so i don't even care about that debate he's getting it done in the biggest moments and he's showing up 
He's putting his team on his back with the bullseye on him. You know, you have the whole scouting report is built around Kevin Durant, how to slow him down, and you can't do it. Don't come in his mentions. Do not SoundCloud rappers. Do not come in Kevin Durant's mentions because he will drop. I was pissed he missed the late free throw because I would have ate a 50-piece chicken nugget on this show today <laughs> if he got to that 50. And you know, He we was pissed too. <laughs> yeah, he, of course he was. You know, we didn't have courtside carry, by the way, but we did have sweet Sarah in the building. You know, Carrie wasn't there. There was no Lindsey Vaughn, but Sarah McCrory was the good luck charm along with James Harden. Sarah, thank you for bringing the Nets good luck. Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Honestly, it was so strange for me because I've never been a fan of a team that's so like confidently good. And it's almost like the players and the fans have this like unspoken thing that the game doesn't actually start till the second half. Like no one was at their seats. Like the arena was half empty for half the game. And I was starting to sweat a little in the first half. And then all of a sudden they turned it on and it was... It was electric in there. It was kind of crazy. Well, you know, it's also hard for a crowd when you get behind early in that home game. <laughs> when you're trying to, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> but it felt like no, I felt like I felt nervous, but it felt like no one else was nervous. Like when that ball hit James Harden in the back, I was like, maybe I shouldn't have come. <laughs> we can now make Carrie look like the peasant because she was in a suite, uh, which know? in some cases <laughs> is better than courtside because you get your own bathroom. You don't have to be sitting around all these people. You get food and drinks served up. I'm sure Sarah had plenty of, uh, cranberry vodka, Tito's and vodka's going uh, in the in the booth. Yeah, I said on Twitter I had more vodka sodas than James Harden had points. So boom, shot fired. <laughs> now, 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 now we're now we're roasting the guy. For, for, for I mean, that's New York, right? That's New York. You know, Carrie, r- real quick before we transition to to Ian um, O'Connor, who, who wrote a, a really good column about James Harden coming a- a- and playing in that game. To, to Durant, we've discussed in the past you going up against Michael Jordan, you going up against Kobe Bryant. If you were to to hypothetically have to to stand across from Kevin Durant, what would that go through in your head as far as comparing it to, to the other greats you've you've had to guard? What kind of matchup problem would he be? Oh, uh, for me, I mean, he's just way too tall for me to guard. I, I wouldn't even bother him on his shot at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I had trouble guarding Paul Pierce, who was six seven. I mean, this guy is seven foot tall. So, I mean, wow, what do you do? Is I mean. You try to let him catch the ball. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you know the amount of time that he's just freely been able to catch the ball. You just don't want to see the ball in his hands because too many good things happen. And the Bucks are just like, oh, you know, if you want to catch it and score, go ahead, catch the ball. We'll try to guard you. You can't guard him. Right? He's proven it. You can't guard him. Don't let him catch the ball, number one. Number two, any kind of dribble handoff, any kind of ball screen, you just double team him, make him pass the ball. Right? It's just simple. Yeah, He runs a ball screen, and they switch. And then you have a big on him or you have a mismatch and he just destroys you. It's just like, I don't know what goes in some of these coaches thinking his strategy is like mind boggling to me when I'm watching it. But as a Nets fan, I'm like, great, go ahead. Go ahead. You're just terrible philosophy. He's going to score 40 or 50 every night. Well, you know, at some point it's almost unfair. It's like you either, you just got to hope he misses and, and, he doesn't miss. That's what Pat Riley tried to do against Michael Jordan, right? That didn't work out. Michael scored 55. So you have to double team these amazing, you know, offensive talents. You just can't let them go one-on-one. That final minute three, too, was just stupid. I mean, one in the shot clock, hand in his face. He was off balance. I mean, it was just stupid. Does he need to put up another near 50 piece to win game no, six? No, no, no. Game six on the road, I, I think he's got to find other players to step up. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he's human being. If he scores 27, 28, I think, and have other guys contribute that would be ideal but you can't expect this guy to score 49 points every night i mean it's just impossible harden's gonna have to score harris is gonna have to hit shots the reason we talk about a game like that as 
as a legendary performance is because it doesn't happen every game, right? You know, Enter that great. Madden video. He put the team on his back, though. Well, the Slim Reaper came, and, and he killed the Bucks just like Bambi's mom. All right. Whoa. Up, <laughs> it happened. What it is. It so are we going six or seven? Because I bought game seven tickets in the final minute. I said, you know what? Let me get seven. them before the price goes up. I we seven. said I, me and you said Carrie we said seven Robin you said six is your prediction are you sticking with your prediction? Well, look, I I, I did think this was going to end in five until the injuries. Uh, I I could easily see it going to to seven. In fact, you know, to be quite frank, I thought the Nets were going to lose this series. You know, midway through the game yesterday. Uh, but I'll stick with six because I, I think the Nets may have taken their heart a, a little bit by be, withstanding the Bucks' best punch in Brooklyn. Bambi's heart was taken away. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't expect that. I always wonder why they, they did that right off the bat. of that movie. They do that in a lot of those movies. Coming up next, the post Ian O'Connor makes his debut on the pod after covering game five in BK right here on Full Court on Flatbush. Joining us now is the newest member of the New York Post sports team. It's columnist and New York Times bestselling author Ian O'Connor. You can read his stories in the Post and at nypost.com and follow him on Twitter at Ian underscore O'Connor. You know, Ian, uh, welcome to the full quote on, on Flatbush. It's been a while since we talked, but I, I read your, your story this morning. And, you know, as great as, as Kevin Durant was, we were just waxing poetic about his historic performance. You actually think it's Harden's hero moment that will endure here? Well, I think both will endure because I think Kevin Durant is going to be of the big three, the player historically, he's going to be remembered more than anyone. And he's climbing that ladder of all time greats. And pretty soon we're going to be having a debate as LeBron is trying to catch Michael Jordan. Is Kevin Durant going to catch LeBron? as far as this generation in, in terms of small forwards. And frankly, I have him ahead of Larry Bird on my all-time small forward list at number two, right behind LeBron James. I wrote that not long ago and, and got some uh, some pretty negative emails on that one. But after last night, I wonder how those people feel. Because I don't think I ever saw Larry Bird play basketball like that uh, in the playoffs. Maybe he did a couple of times. But no, I, I think it'll endure for both. I just think for Harden, and, and here's a guy who's looking for his first championship ring, of course, to put his body on the line like that. And granted, when you look at the box score, he looked like he had a terrible game, but he didn't have a terrible game if you were there. I was in the building and I thought he did a lot with what he had to offer, which was very little physically, but emotionally giving his teammates a lift. He did get the six rebounds, eight assists, made a couple of free throws at the end, which were pretty big. I was surprised that Milwaukee didn't try to attack him more on defense, but just to go out there on one leg in a playoff game and play 46 minutes, I think that's going to be very big for his legacy down the road. Hi, uh, Ian. Talk, talk about the Bucks, you know, and, and their adjustments and trying to slow down the Nets. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of problems with uh, trying to, you know, slow down the Nets offensively. But just as how they tried to cover Durant, you know, throughout the, throughout the game. I mean, you know, you let one guy dominate you the entire game, and now it's an important game. You're up 17 on the road. You're, you're figuring out, okay, you know, we're up big. You know, they're going to make a run, but we're going to figure out how to close out this game on the road and then go home and try to beat the Nets in six. But they still didn't make any adjustments, and you let one guy control you the entire game. Obviously, Harden wasn't there. You know, talk about the about the Bucks and their adjustments and, and what you've seen of them thus far in this series. I, I couldn't believe, Kerry, that uh, in the fourth quarter, they just didn't double. At a certain point, I thought Budenholzer had to say, we're going to lose this game if we continue basically not sending a second person at Kevin Durant just to get the ball out of his hands. And if we lose because Jeff Green is making shots or Blake Griffin, we knew that 
Joe Harris had lost his confidence again. So chances were that he was not going to beat you. But it, it's almost like I would liken it to if you let Patrick Mahomes sit back there in the pocket with all the time in the world, he's going to beat you. He's going to pick you apart. You have to blitz him sometimes. And yeah, that's leaving some cornerbacks on an island and you're going to be exposed a little bit and sometimes you're going to get burned. But I, I thought they had to blitz Kevin Durant with a second person in the fourth quarter and just say, if we're going to lose this game, it's not going to be because this guy's going to get 50 or as it turned out, 49. We're going to force a couple of these other guys to make shots. And then if we lose, we lose. I was just stunned that they did not make that adjustment. It was undeniable, his performance, right, Ian? And, and, and I'm interested in your perspective on this because with the Nets, given that the, the Knicks have been around for so long and there are so many Knicks fans in the media, I, I think a lot of times, especially of late, you know, a lot of the Nets talk gets diverted to something about the fan base or, or the arena or, or whatnot instead of what we're, we're actually watching. And, and you've been an admirer of greatness throughout your career. I mean, you've written a, a book on Bill Belichick, on, on Derek Jeter, you know, obviously covered the, the Yankees very closely through some of their dynastic years. What do you think of the possibilities this Nets team has with this core, Kevin Durant, obviously, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, to establish themselves in the annals of New York sports? I think it's a great opportunity, Robin, and it goes beyond, obviously, just winning the franchise's first NBA championship, first title of any kind since Julius Irving won two in the ABA in the in the 1970s. I just, if this team wins a championship, you could argue it's the greatest New York basketball team ever. Obviously, people who are of a certain age would look back on the, particularly the 1970 Knicks with Frazier and Reed and what Willis Reed did, of course, in Game 7, probably what James Harden did last night times two, and say that's the greatest team in the history of of New York City, but I, I think with three guys of this caliber still in their primes, Kevin Durant is a better player than either Willis Reed or Walt Frazier. And I, I hate to, I'm not trying to knock those guys. Those guys are historic players. So I, I think the Nets can go down as the greatest New York team ever. So they have to win it. There's still a long way to go to get to that point. One reason I was really for Robin, the Harden trade, though I never loved the way James Harden played basketball in Houston. I realized he was a, a devastating offensive force, but it, I, I thought he was tough to watch at times. But to have a big three, because I always thought one of them would be injured or unavailable. Not always, but most of the time. And that's the way it's playing out. And if you have two of them on the floor, I, I think that's enough to win the whole thing. Wow, that's um, that's pretty strong um, you know, conviction there in your part about the Nets. And, and their big three. They talk about, um, you know, fighting through these injuries. You know, we've seen them throughout the playoffs this year where they're, you know, key guys on, on multiple teams just out from, you know, serious injuries to, to nagging injuries, you know. But with the Nets trying to win this series against the Bucks in advance, right, without, without Kyrie Irving right now and, and a banged up Harden, how do you see this playing out uh, in the next couple of games, you know, with Harden, you know, trying to figure, find his rhythm offensively and, and do a little bit more than he was able to do in game five? Well, I, I think, Kerry, there's no way he's going to play 46 minutes in game six. I'd be stunned if, if they didn't pull back a little bit on that. Kyrie Irving will see as – Steve Nash is supposed to make a, an announcement or at least give an update on, on where he's at at some point. If he's out for the rest of the series, I still think as long as they've got the two guys and Harden continues maybe to improve a little bit, they, they should win this series. And I, I think having two is going to be enough to get out of the East and, and win the whole thing. But they have to have two. And one is not going to be enough. And they might have three. 
Kyrie comes back. And, and I think that uh, I asked Jeff Van Gundy recently on, on a radio program who he would put his money on right now. This was a few days ago, uh, whether it be Brooklyn or somebody else. And he said, well, if I had Brooklyn versus the field, I would still put $10 on Brooklyn. And I, I think I would too, frankly. And I guess we'll see how, how it plays out with Embiid and his, his knee, assuming Philly gets out of that series. But uh, right now, to me, it's uh, it's it's the Nets and everyone else. Do you have a home phone? That's uh, a, I do. That's a rare occurrence nowadays. Can I see that? Uh, you can. Hold yeah, on. One right. second. Let me hang up on this. That's first. the bookie right. calling through to take that ten dollar bet. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I, I guess I should disconnect this line, which is what I'm going to do right now. I'm sorry, guys. No, you're but, good. Yeah, this is the uh, the phone that just rang. Sorry. About that. $10 on the Nets. You're putting it putting it down right there. You know, Jeff Van Gundy has talked about coaches a, a lot and, and the jobs they do. And, and there's always a banter between he and Mark Jackson where Mark Jackson says, you know, you got all the talent. It, it's pretty easy. But Steve Nash does deserve some credit. I would say Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, to be honest. But I, I think they deserve some credit for being able to navigate the waters that they've navigated this season. Yes, they are, are blessed with an absurd level of talent, but at the same time, we're, we're shuffling guys in and out all season. I think where Nash deserves a lot of credit, Robin, is, is he's let these guys be themselves. He's given them a lot of room. He's respected their status in the league, starting with the one day where Kyrie Irving announced that James Harden is going to be the point guard and I'm going to be the two guard. I don't even know if Steve Nash was aware of that. But he didn't make a big deal of it if he wasn't, if he approved of it or not. It certainly has worked. He is a Hall of Fame player himself. So I, I think that has really worked with this big three. I think they have a respect for him in his career. He had a relationship with Kevin Durant coming in. Uh, not much of one with Kyrie Irving, but it seems like he's been able to to manage Kyrie pretty well. And even, even with James Harden playing in, Game five, Steve Nash said, I let him make that decision. I let him drive that train. And it came down to, if this player is telling me he can go out there and help us a little bit, I'm going to respect that. I'm going to let him do it. And he didn't get in the way of it. So I think that Nash's career as a player has helped him with the big three. And, and obviously the results speak for themselves. Talk about your coaching and style of play. I'm always interested in this conversation as a former player from the 90s and how the game obviously was a little bit more balanced with mid-range, right? A lot more defense being played and defensive-minded, you know, teams that were really doing well and dominating the league. But this new this new uh, small ball, right, that D'Antone came up with back in the day and, and the scoring, right, taking over our game, the pace of play taking over our game. I mean, so now we're seeing almost every team across the league playing five outs, small guys on the court. And so if the Nets are able to win this year with this small ball mentality that D'Antone has really <laughs> been pushing throughout the league, talk about that style of play and how that is really going to be able to draw that line in the stand like okay if you're not playing small ball if you're not playing fast-paced threes you're probably not going to win at all well i preferred uh, your style of basketball with the, the jason kid nets and and although you guys did an awful lot of running on the break and and that was fun but i i, I do miss the mid-range game in the nba i do i don't like the constant reliance on three-pointers i've never liked that but when you look at the difference between say kd and and Giannis, if you can't shoot from the outside in today's NBA, it's going to be a struggle. Giannis is a great world-class player. You see that uh, the way it's played out in the series. One 
superstar is deadly from three-point range. The other, you want him to take the shot. In, in some ways, that's been the difference in the series so far and the reason why Brooklyn's up three to two. Well, and also, the, you know, the Nets do have mid-range guys. I mean, Kevin Durant's hit more mid-range shots than any player in this playoffs. And, and Kyrie Irving is a mid-range maestro as well, which, you know, when the guys can hit it at a certain clip, you know, it's good for them to take it. I, I guess you what the guys who aren't hitting it to not take it. And, and a little bit of a, a segue off that, News I just saw because this playoffs has been a, a war of attrition in a lot of ways. There was the, the news about Chris Paul earlier today entering the protocols. Hopefully he's back for the Western Conference Finals. But it looks like Kawhi Leonard may have suffered an ACL injury. So the, the way that that is phrased, uh, I, I'm assuming he's being taken off the board which takes the Clippers off the board. So last night's game, Ian, you talk about these moments that stand out. I do think if the Nets do go on to cash out your $10 bet or Jeff Van Gundy's $10 bet, we will look back on game five as the moment where it changed and we knew it was going to happen in retrospect. Yeah, I think so. That was the game that if you're going to put away the Nets, that that was the game to win, and then you go back home and and you finish the series in six. Now I I see a very difficult path for Milwaukee to figure this out and get out of this series. But one thing, too, uh, Robin, last night being in the building – that's the first time the Barclays Center, to me, sounded like Madison Square Garden. When KD got it going in the fourth quarter, it was really intense and loud in there. And frankly, before the game, I didn't feel a good Game 5 buzz in that building. And in the past, I haven't felt like it was a real top-level playoff crowd. That was the first time in the fourth quarter that place exploded and I think helped that team get across the finish line. So if the Barkley Center can become that kind of home court advantage for the Nets, it's just going to make it that much more difficult to take them out of this tournament. And, and then the Nets have not lost at home in the playoffs. And, you know, Ian, for all the talk, going back to the fan thing, people forget this is a, a fan base that is growing. There are established fans, obviously, from Kerry's day. Um, you have some fans that you want to be converts, but you, you also have fans you just want to bring in, whether they're they're transplants or younger or whatever the case may be. And that's the kind of thing that can make somebody a fan for life. They're there for that game. They see Kevin Durant do that. They're a Brooklyn Nets fan. Yeah, that's right. It's almost like building a, a program uh, as, as a coach and just starting like maybe the way Tom Thibodeau was just building a culture. You have to do that with a fan base too. And I live in New Jersey and Northern New Jersey. There are a fair amount of Nets fans around me. Most of them have stayed with the Nets. I don't know how often they're making the trip out to Brooklyn, but as far as watching them, following them, rooting for them, that's still intact. But the actual fan base in Brooklyn, I do think that has to be developed. And obviously if you win a championship, that's going to go a long way towards developing that fan culture, if you will. I'll tell you what, the Nets win the championship this year. And you have a parade down Flatbush Half, right? <laughs> You're gonna get some fans in Brooklyn, and, and that franchise will, you know, establish itself as being a preeminent place to go and watch a, a professional basketball game. And listen, the culture they've built is there now. I mean, you bring in these superstars in their prime, the culture is established, right? It's a winning mentality there. It's first-class organization. You go there, you're going to have a great time in the Barclays Center. It's just a nice place to go watch a sporting event. Now you're saying you're going to be winning championships with superstar players, Hall of Famers? Oh, sign me up for that. You know, and so I, I think what the Nets are doing is spectacular. I'm happy to be a part of it now as a former player, you know, to just hop in my car with my kids, go over and watch a ball game and just really enjoy the night out. It's a, it's a great atmosphere. And, you know, Durant now, he's in the league category. And there's no question about it. He's in the league category with all the great players that have played the game. Hopefully these guys are healthy and able to close this series and advance on. But, I mean, it's it's there now. That culture is established. I, I think I think you're right. And, you know, what, the one thing that I think the franchise 
franchise needed to do was convert some of the older Brooklyn fans who were Knicks fans, try to get some of them to become Nets fans. And I think that process is happening. I know some some people even older than I am who are, are all-time Knicks fans who've been Brooklyn lifers, and they're starting to take an interest in this franchise. So I think that's an important uh, development. I, I think right now the Nets do have to win it all. We don't know if the big three is ever going to be fully healthy uh, at any point in this period. And they have a great opportunity right now with LeBron out of the tournament. And it's kind of, it's opening up with the, with the injuries, though the Nets have to deal with their own. So I think it's a great opportunity for them to, to get ring number one for James Harden. It could end up being the last team standing with that's healthy at this point. I mean, every team is just dealing with things that whoever's the healthiest can make it. I got three Northern Jersey guys. New York is now open. We didn't think a couple months ago there could be a parade on Flatbush Avenue. Well, there'll be a full court on Flatbush parade on Flatbush Avenue because New York is open now. And I have like a picture of me behind me. Carrie's at the Taj Mahal. Robin has comic books behind him. But the esteemed Ian O'Connor has many books behind him. I know you are a New York Times best-selling author. What books are you working on? What's coming out? I know a few of your books are behind you right now. Yeah, I, I got Belichick and Jeter behind me. I'm working on Coach K right now, and I'm, I'm about finished with it. It's coming out in February. I got a bit of a break when he announced he was retiring that he said he was going to coach one more year. So I was hoping he wouldn't just bail. And, and so when the book comes out, he'll be right in the about two-thirds of the way through his victory tour. So hopefully that'll help sales. We'll see. It's good timing, and it's a good time to follow and chronicle the Brooklyn Nets which Ian O'Connor will be doing for the New York Post. You can read his stories in the Post and at nypost.com. Follow him on Twitter at Ian underscore O'Connor. Ian, we appreciate your time today. Thanks very much, guys. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That does it for episode 26, the Spencer Dinwiddie edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Go to Apple Podcasts right now, please. Give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review. We appreciate it. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return after the Nets Bucks series ends, so hold on tight, and thanks for listening. Let's go Nets!